The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dove Hirsch. Dove, are you ready to uh, share with some quality people? I've been looking forward to it. All right, perfect. Well, we love to jump into every episode with really getting positive affirmations at the very start, just to kind of build up our momentum. So Dove, I'd love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or a favorite leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I love sort of pithy quotes and, and, and phrases um, as it relates to leadership. I'm not, I'm not sure um, th- these things change often, um, but what I will say is I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan, okay? So um, if you're not familiar, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a show. I encourage everyone out there to watch it because I think we, there's a lot to be learned from it. Um, but um, in one of the episodes, uh, he, he, you know, th- this is um, uh, Jason Sudeikis. He played the role of a soccer coach, excuse me, football in, 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 in England. And um, he says uh, in, on one of the episodes, you know, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> now, uh, I can definitely say it's it's been an interesting theme on the last couple of conversations that I've had personally where um, a number of leaders and a number of guests coming onto the show are really challenging I think the mindset for my audience with what you just said if if you know we're trying to grow and take on challenges and we're very comfortable we're doing it wrong that's you know that that you know mindset if you're not uncomfortable you're probably not growing is that still kind of the same connection in there yeah, I think I think it's um, you know I've I'll say this right like everyone everyone lives um, through a set of experiences that really shape them um, and uh, I remember at a very early age in my life I was very much shaped by by some key figures my my father probably most notably and and that was something that he really actively encouraged me to embrace. I can distinctly remember it being homework. Okay. Um, as a, as a, as a young student, I really naturally gravitated towards the language arts and, um, math was something that was of, of particular difficulty for me. And so, you know, I, I, I remember having conversations saying, you know, why can't I just, why can't I just focus on what I'm good at? And his response to me was, I've got it backwards. I need to focus on what I'm not good at. <laughs> And, and that really stuck with me. Uh, and, and that was something that I, I, 
I, I hold to this day and I, I work with my teams on and really encouraging them to get uncomfortable. That takes on different meanings and different work environments, right? So, you know, I'll just I'll apply here from a healthcare perspective. There's certain levels of discomfort we simply can't tolerate or shouldn't tolerate in healthcare and healthcare delivery, especially as it relates to quality, right? Um, there's this common adage in the startup world of, you know, move fast and break things. That I think is actually wrong, the, the wrong guidance. So, so I think with a lot of these phrases, a lot of these things, people tend to make them their own. For me, what this really means is, you know, get uncomfortable, explore things that you haven't explored just yet, and be open to ideas that you historically have not been open to, and and experiment with them. Um, but but obviously within the confines of of what we're all trying to do as a group. Fantastic. No, I, I love the mindset. Um, I, I know we're going to get into your your background with this next set of questions, uh, Dove. But um, for me, I, I still kind of very much consider myself a, a new entrepreneur in a lot of ways. So literally every day of my business life today, there's something quirky, uncomfortable, something new always going on. And so that's why I just mm-hmm. that, this mindset resonates with me personally. But even to our audience, I mean, with all the dynamics, you know, going on in healthcare right now, I guarantee you, um, it's going to resonate with somebody because this is such a new environment with the daily struggles, COVID and all of the above, but then the constant change always going on in healthcare. So I guarantee you that mindset is going to go far. So I appreciate, appreciate that mindset to start off with. I love it. Um, Dove, let's get into this next question and really, you know, learn more about you and, and what you're up to. So I'd love if you could uh, just quickly give us an overview of your current role, your professional background, and definitely what led you into this uh, career path. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting. I think I find it to be a, a set of interesting stories, but but a lot of things that have happened in my life, I almost treat as accidents, and this is no exception. Um, so I am uh, the general manager for uh, a company. Um, I oversee a company called the Immersive Health Group. And um, the Immersive Health Group is a subsidiary of uh, a company called the Glimpse Group, which is a company that focuses on augmented reality and virtual reality technology, building so, uh, software and services for um, a variety of different industries um, and verticals. And Immersive Health Group uh, really focuses on the healthcare enterprise. And when we think about something like augmented reality and virtual reality, um, you know, the way in which I stumbled into this, and I truly did stumble, was, um, you know, I've, I've been involved with, led, um, founded, or turned around a variety of different um, startups and early stage companies. And about a little over three years ago, um, I was in New York. I had just exited a business, and I was in New York um, uh, on investment business at an investor conference. And I had uh, noticed a a company um, that was pitching themselves as this AR VR company, but really focusing in the healthcare space. And that was the Glimpse Group. And they had been talking about some early work they were doing um, with Mount Sinai um, Health System in New York. And immediately out of the gate, I completely dismissed um, what I was hearing. They were explaining to me about this technology, augmented reality, virtual reality, and I thought, this is this is like gamer stuff. This is this is consumer stuff. This is this is not something that healthcare 
institutions uh, are going to jump at. So I really just brushed it off. I thought, okay, really nice people, really smart people, but but not really a viable opportunity. I then this was that was that was in New York. I came home. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which um, many people um, are familiar with. Is uh, we call it, um, you know, one of the healthcare capitals of the world. And I was meeting with a number of large health systems and anecdotally sharing this story. And they proceeded to explain to me just how wrong I was um, to dismiss this opportunity. Uh, and so I, my ears really perked up and I started learning and listening from some, some people who I've worked with repeatedly and really respect um, with some of the largest health systems in the world, explaining to me their understanding of the applications of this technology in healthcare. And so just by really opening up myself to the idea that, quite frankly, I was wrong um, and I really needed to do some more homework, there, there was something to explore further here. So long and short of it, I, I essentially turned around, went back to New York. Um, I scheduled a meeting with the CEO of the company, uh, the Glimpse Group, and proceeded to explain my understanding of, of the opportunity here. And almost right out of the gate, we really, we really hit it off. Um, there was an, an opportunity to work together, me bringing my experience in the healthcare industry um, and really combining forces with their um, just mastery of understanding of this technology to do some real good. And that's essentially how it, how it all started. Um, and I found myself in a sector that never in a million years would I have thought I would have, I would have been part of. Um, this augmented reality, virtual reality space, um, this type of emerging, almost at the time, almost bleeding edge tech. Uh, and after a little over three years, we've since really done a number of incredible things um, in the field. Um, and, and, and much to my surprise, um, at least at that time, really there is a convergence happening um, in healthcare that even I just, I just did not anticipate. I think I had my blinders on and my bias from all of the historical work I've done in healthcare that, that I'm really happy I was able to get over. Perfect. Well, so I, I, I'm giving you the heads up now. I am going to go off script because two, at least two questions popped up in my head um, to, to kind of tag on to your thoughts there. Um, the first, before I kind of get into why, you know, the AR, VR world is is really just well positioned with everything going on in healthcare now, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your background because I, I, I don't remember exactly, Dove, how I came across your profile, but when I, you know, checked everything out on LinkedIn, I was like, oh, this guy has a very unique path, a very unique story, and I mean, it was um, it just seemed like a lot of positions around strategy, business development, um, obviously entrepreneurship. And you mentioned, you know, how you, you know, sold businesses and you've, you know, worked to grow and develop a, a number of different companies. We we'll just want to hear that story a little bit. Like, how did you get into that path? And I'm asking this one part selfishly, as I'm like I mentioned earlier, I'm still figuring out entrepreneurship myself. But for any of our other healthcare um, <clears throat> leaders on the that listen to this conversation, who, you know, we're we're taught, you know, we got to go work in the hospital, we got to be the next CEO or COO or whatever the case, and then mm -hmm. here you are with such a dynamic yet healthcare focused background. Um, we just want to hear that story, just again to to open us up to all the different possibilities for a healthcare career. Yeah. So. You know, just, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So, um, you know, looking back um, on my career and, 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 and how I've spent my life, at, at the time, in the moment, I didn't really understand 
what mattered to me. But but I I think like many entrepreneurs, I'm an impact person, right? I I really thrive in environments where I I do something or I or I have I I, I spend time on something. Um, and I can actually see the fruits of my labor um, at work, right? Um, and so, so that's been a theme that's always carried through. But I'll kind of go back, you know, when I was, when I was um, in school, when I was in college, right? Um, my my interests were centered around economics and political science, and and even actually in junior high school, um, my intentions were to work in politics. Um, I wanted to work in international politics in particular. And, and that was that, you know, I went, I, 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 I studied my ass off. I went to school in Washington, DC, great place, right. To, to, to launch a career in politics. Um, I, I did work at the United Nations. Um, I was well on my way and, um, while, you know, on, on my way to law school, because I think for, for many of those in, in politics, law school tends to be part of that plan. Uh, I, I found myself um, working in two areas that really created a completely unanticipated path. That was political polling, right? So really the market research associated with politics and then communications law, okay? So looking at um, how communications entities in the communications industry um, is regulated. And from these intersections, it really took me completely away from that, that law school path and that politics path. And really, I, was, I became enamored and fascinated with the idea of, of, of really how we understand what people in communities are seeking and what they want um, and, and how we can actually bring them things that they both want and that they need. Okay, So these are, these are complex ideas, but, but I, I really found myself completely immersed in this. And I decided I'm not going to law school. Um, I want to learn more about this. And so I found myself going to graduate school um, and, uh, and studying communications research and really coupling um, my undergraduate degree in economics with communications research and behavioral science. And so that's kind of the geek out kind of stuff, that, that, that academic piece that I've always loved, really trying to understand human behavior relative to um, really civic engagement. And so um, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that, quite frankly, but I knew that I was interested in, in this market research aspect and, and that market research of understanding how really what it, what it ultimately taught me to do is how to understand product market fit. We didn't use that language at the time, but it really enabled me to understand what are people ready to adopt, buy, take action on, right? Vote for um, what, what is it that's actually going on in terms of timing of a market that we need to be listening to? How do we listen to people and understand how we're going to um, engage with them as a result of that? I, I found myself doing increasingly more and more work um, in market research on behalf of healthcare companies. And this really um, intersected right at an interesting time where um, what we often refer to as value-based care was really um, just front and center of the political dialogue um, and, and the, the public policy dialogue really around um, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act um, during the Obama administration. And I got really excited about this work. And so um, I had worked with a number of different private equity groups um, and uh, care delivery organizations really um, th through M&A, okay? So mergers and acquisitions. How are they going to acquire either other provider groups or technologies 
um, to enable them to more effectively deliver value-based care. So I got really excited about this opportunity in healthcare because quite frankly, healthcare is unusually inefficient um, as an industry. It's very much mission-driven. Um, and, and so it really represented an opportunity to deliver significant impact. And so once I started developing some degree of domain understanding and expertise in this space, I just started pursuing more and more and more of it. And um, eventually that led to an opportunity that um, at the time I was living in Colorado, it pulled me to Nashville, um, which I never <laughs> anticipated moving to. I thought I would, you know, once I, once I established myself on Colorado, I thought this is paradise. I'm never going to leave this place. Um, but again, life takes you where it takes you. And um, I joined um, in-house an organization that was a, um, uh, an ancillary provider um, that was at the time a durable medical equipment company merging with a specialty pharmacy that would ultimately become a, a chronic care slash disease management company. So really a lot of transformation happening. And through that experience, we, we were just, we were tinkering, right? We were, we were starting to understand how are we going to transform these services that we deliver, right? Bent metal, home oxygen therapy, these types of things that are traditional DME. How are we going to transition a, an antiquated um, business and business model that was, from a business perspective, was, was not doing great, right? Um, um, financially, uh, margins were shrinking for durable medical equipment companies. And quite frankly, they were either being acquired or they were going out of business. Um, uh, and so how are we going to transform this business to align with the Affordable Care Act? And ultimately, what we did was we, we did that market research, right? We went to go look and see what was the appetite for value-based care. And while a lot of people were talking about it, and I think this is an important piece, a lot of people were talking about value-based care, almost no one was doing it. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think most provider organizations were, double, were doubling down on fee-for-service, and, and that's still very much the case today. Um, so we had to find our footing in a way where we could actually transform this business to do something that we very much believed in, and that was delivering better quality clinical outcomes, better um, uh, quality of life for patients while reducing spend, um, and, and to do so in an environment where there weren't a lot of early adopters. There wasn't a, a market readiness for it, um, and that required a lot of uh, fancy footwork and maneuvering. Ultimately, we were able to do it, and we, you know, I can talk a little bit more about that um, if you're interested. But, but really, what that taught me was um, really about the difference between what people talk about in healthcare um, and what they say they want and what they do. Because, quite frankly, we're still today, and this is more than ten years after that or so, we're still at a point where. You know, I think the numbers are between 80 to 90 percent of all healthcare delivery in this country remains fee for service. So we're still even even after having done that and having seen growth in the value based care um, space. And, and there's more value based providers and contracts today than there ever have been in the past. It still represents a very small sliver of, of what needs to happen. So that's essentially um, how I found myself in this space. And so increasingly, that became not just about care management. It became about data um, and how we use data to inform decision making. Um, and as I shared now, it's, it's really about using immersive technologies to enable people to deliver better quality care. Oh, and that, that's truly just fantastic. I mean, that, that entire path, um, you laid it out 
just magnificently. So thank you for that. And, you know, that's just one of the things I love to highlight on the show is really that path that people take to get to where they are. Um, now, I will say moving from Colorado to Nashville had to be a true culture shock and experience. Um, that would be a tough decision. But um, again, just, you know, there's, there's not always a straight line. And so I love just kind of hearing your path as you went through it. Um, the other thing, Dove, and then, uh, excuse me, Dove, Dove um, and then I, I'll move us into the next question. But again, when I when I came across your 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 profile, but then started exploring more about your company um, and the work that you all are doing, you know, for me, I had an experience. This was maybe back around 2009, 2010. Um, we had a team who had a previous experience working at EA Sports, which, you know, for me being a, a former football player, you know, anything with EA Sports is, you know, I'm in, I want to know more. Um, but this team had created a platform that, you know, they use basically a video game simulation to mm -hmm. teach healthcare teams how to respond to uh, trauma events. And I mean, it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was 2009 graphics and technology, but still, the concept of what they produced in this simulated program. I um, mean, they, you know, they walked us through it and, you know, the storyline and the, the different avatars and all of the above. Um, you know, I'm sitting back just purely geeking out about everything I was seeing. Um, but then I go to your website and I see all the cool AR and VR elements that you all are building to support, um, you know, healthcare companies and probably other types of clients as well. But that was immediately where I went to was like, we need more of this. Um, just, you know, my personal experience, my personal background as an engineer, that's the stuff that I love to see is just the, the you know, use of technology to advance everything we're doing and to do it in a very um, realistic type of a way. But uh, I love if you could just maybe touch on, you know, the, the future of AR, VR in supporting healthcare, uh, whether it's, you know, high quality care, whether it's teaching future providers, doctors, nurses, administrators, all of the above, just what's, what's really going on in that, in that business market right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time, uh, I, I think, and a very exciting time on a variety of levels. I'll, I'll talk about this a few different ways. When we, when, when, when I, joined the glimpse group and and really took over uh the immersive health group we had no idea what we were doing not only did i not understand the technology um fully right like i really needed to to gain some level of mastery in terms of understanding what is the appropriate application of this technology um we first looked at the data, right? So, so where's the evidence? As you know, right? Uh, I think I think the adoption um, timeline is like from the point of you know a wealth of of peer-reviewed, um, well-documented research from the time that that's established to the time of adoption. We're looking at a decade, if not two decades, in healthcare in terms of you know some degree of critical mass adoption. So, so it, it's not quick, and it can even be longer at times. But we really needed to see what what does the research tell us about this uh, this technology and and its application in this in this space. And there's there's there at the time there's research on quite a lot um, in terms of how how this technology the the augmented reality and virtual reality can be used. 
but I, I kind of want to cut through some of that. We, we, we experimented, we, we worked with um, different health systems on looking at a few different applications. We ran studies of our own um, looking at efficacy of certain treatments, for instance, um, one of which um, is pain management. Uh, where we landed in particular is in um, clinical education and training, but, but there's really two areas that I think are going to demonstrate um, the greatest adoption in the near term, one of which is clinical training um, and, uh, and education. So really using um, virtual reality and augmented reality um, almost as an, almost, um, no pun intended, almost as augmenting um, simulation training in general. Um, and I'll talk about that in a moment. The other one, which I think is very exciting and near and dear to my heart, is in behavioral health. Um, uh, and, and I think the opportunity there um, it cannot be understated in terms of where we are seeing the greatest application of telehealth right now. Um, so, so I think over the, you know, the course of the past two years, we've certainly seen growth in telehealth as a whole, um, and it's been a very exciting time. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that currently, as of, as of right now, we are starting to see a greater trend, not away from telehealth, but we are starting to see that people are starting to move back to more typical traditional patterns of seeking out healthcare delivery on-site, on-premise. And so, but, but the one big exception to that is behavioral health. And I think that goes to some core basic economic fundamentals, and that is supply and demand. We've known for a very long time there's just not enough um, care opportunities, care delivery, care professionals in the behavioral health space, and there's just a massive growing demand for and need for it. And so virtual reality, I think, represents a um, early but growing space to deliver really innovative and effective methods of behavioral health care. Um, for people through through simulated experiences that um, otherwise we simply never would have been able to deliver, uh, and um, the the efficacy there um, is really growing. The research there is growing, and I'm very excited about that. In addition to that, going back to the clinical education space, um, you know there is I'll, I'll kind of go you know back in time a little bit when I was with Alana Healthcare, and that was that organization that was a product of a of a uh, merger between specialty pharmacy and DME. One of the things I learned and really came to appreciate, and it's really stuck with me, is this idea of the, the corner. What I believe is the cornerstone of healthcare, and that is a relationship between a patient and a and a clinician or caregiver. And that caregiver may be trained, they may be untrained. They could be a parent um, caring for their child. It may be a child caring for their parent. But that's really the cornerstone of healthcare as, as I see it. And and what I learned at that moment was. We as an organization, especially if you're focused on quality of care, by any measure you want to look at, you, you cannot underestimate the value of your clinical or caregiving workforce. You simply cannot. You as an organization probably need to place more resources and investment behind their professional development and training than, than maybe any other area of your business. Then certainly more it's more i find it to be more important than any digital transformation initiatives electronic medical records etc um on a number of different levels and i learned that early on there because it was the single greatest opportunity and great most impactful thing we could do for our our clinicians and caregivers to deliver those quality results for the patients their families their community members um and then in addition to that for the health plans um, and managed care organizations and that really, it stuck with me and, has, and, and continues to stick with me to this day 
And when I saw this technology, I immediately realized there's an opportunity to exponentially improve the level and quality of training we can deliver at scale for, for caregivers of all types. And that's really the work that we've been doing. That's the core of the work we've been doing at the Immersive Health Group is working with health systems. You, you, you know, you mentioned your experience with EA, you know, folks who came out of EA Sports. Um, that's really exactly the work that we're doing. We're able to provide people with simulated experiences at scale. That's really important here um, in a highly affordable and efficacious way, especially when now, you know, pandemic and post-pandemic, so much of the learning and training that needs to happen has to be in a distributed environment, right? Remote learning. Um, And so that has just, quite frankly, it's taken off. I still believe we're in the early days of this. Um, We're doing incredible work. But I think we have a lot more work to do, and I think that we're going to see a lot more innovation and a lot more uh, adoption. Um, it's going to be difficult. This is not to overstate the the certainly the successes we've had. As proud of uh, as proud as I am of, of of those successes, at the same time, healthcare is going through some really difficult times. Healthcare delivery is going through some really difficult times, and it's understandable when we think about. The, the people doing great work day in, day out, very <laughs> difficult work day in, day out within health systems and public health and community um, centers. Um, they, those organizations have a tough road ahead of them. And um, when they're able, quite frankly, to come up for air and start to effectively evaluate the technology landscape, we're excited by what we're going to be able to do increasingly with them. Well, and I'll connect the dots at least for, you know, all of my quality improvement folks that are listening to this episode. Um, So me personally, again, I've always had this vision of literally, you know, putting your entire hospital into a simulated, you know, a computer simulation. And for all of our different quality and process improvement initiatives, I mean, we can just model, you know, we have to do the work for, you know, the layouts, do the work for the data collection appropriately, but I mean, imagine having your entire facility in a computer where you can model the results. But now, you know, from Dove's point of view with the work that you all are leading, now it could be VR. Um, You can, you know, have an AR platform where you, you know, your your hospital is literally kind of projected on top of your desktop now. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I love to see. I mean, even just the business of healthcare, I mean, Imagine marketing your hospital to potential clients or, you know, potential patients in the community through social media. And again, the hospital is this 3D function sitting on top of your your mobile device. So, uh, again, I I could probably geek out in a number of different ways, but that's (laughs) that's what I'm sitting back like really looking forward to. But um, to your point, you know, we've got some work to do, but man, like to simulate and to create all that in virtual environments um, is gonna be amazing. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, Dove, man, I, I know I probably got way, way off script with all of that, um, but let me let me kind of pick up a few of these questions and, and make sure I respect all of your time you're giving me today. Um, let me move you to the next question where I, I love if you could take me to a point in your healthcare journey that you would consider your best moment of failure um, share with us just the background to that story and definitely what major lessons learned that you pull from it. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, best moment of failure. I don't know the answer to that. There's so many good ones. And I, and I mean that I like, 
and it happens all the time. It's still to this day. And, and thankfully, cause, cause, cause I, and it really goes back to the idea. One of the things I'm very excited about that technology is, is that we want to provide people opportunities to fail safely, right? Fail where the consequences are not dire. Um, because, you know, I, I firmly believe that that's how people learn best is that people need opportunities and room to make mistakes um, and, and see the consequences of those things and, and make change real. That, that to me is, is really a profound thing. So, so best moments of failure for me, um, I'll, I'll share, I'll share just, just a few of these. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, you had mentioned, you know, moving from Colorado to Nashville, um, uh, you know, that, that represents an important one for me. And that was, um, ignorance on my behalf. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it because again, it was a learning opportunity for me, but, you know, I had a preconceived notion. I had not spent really any time in, you know, as a, quite frankly, as a, as a child or as an adult, um, in the South. Uh, so I, I didn't really know anything about it, but I thought I did. You know, I I was living in a, a extraordinarily privileged community in Colorado, very very politically progressive, socially progressive, one of the healthiest, quite frankly, populations um, by county in the country. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I thought I, I thought I was better than. And when I moved to Nashville, that, that really, my, my first instincts were, you know, this, this place is backwards. Um, the, the South is backwards. And, um, and once I opened up myself the, to the idea of actually meeting and getting to know the people in the South, um, I, was, I really opened up, again, the opportunity to learn from my mistakes and my misunderstandings. And um, there's uh, a gentleman, gentleman by the name of Chet Cresswell. Um, he's a respiratory therapist, and um, he grew up in um, in Middle Tennessee. And he was one of our clinical educators. And 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 not long after I moved to Nashville, I you know working with this organization, you know, I, he he said, Dove, let me let me let me take you around. Let me show you who the people are that we treat. Um, let me let me you know, join me. And so he and I spent days driving around um, uh, rural Tennessee, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Kentucky, Alabama, um, just throughout the southeastern United States uh, and 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 going and doing home visits, quite frankly, home visits for people who are living with chronic illness. And it was just a huge eye opener. And, and I think maybe maybe it doesn't represent, quite frankly, a, a a, a failure per se in a traditional sense, but it was a failure on my part. I saw it as a huge failure to, to prejudge um, the people, the wonderful people who, who live in this part of the country um, because I learned a tremendous amount from them. Um, and I still to this day do. So that's, I think one that I, that I carry with me every day. Um, and then in addition to that, um, I would say that <laughs> I know you asked for one failure Um but another one was when I, quite frankly, joined the Glimpse Group and really started setting in motion what we were going to do with the Immersive Health Group as a business. And the, the failure there was that I was leaning very heavily on my experience and what I knew from previous experience. And that was my mistake at that time. I did not quite understand. And I think this 
you know, if I may be so bold, I think this is the failure of so many health systems. And I'm going to call out, you know, health, you know, board of directors of health systems in this country, quite frankly. I think the failure is of to understand that um, we've been leaning way too heavily on, on, on our knowledge and what we've done in the past to be successful as a, as a crutch and a predictor of what's going to be successful in the future. Um, and, and that was a big mistake of mine for the first year, quite frankly, we, we, we had success, business successes, but I believed quite frankly, that, you know, that health systems, um, that it was their conservative nature that was going to be important for us to focus on in terms of their ability to adopt and embrace new technology. And we really needed to think about, um, you gave an example, Jarvis, of you know the excitement of being able to replicate a health system um, or a hospital or care delivery environment in virtual reality, right? Um, that was the thinking I had at the time, and there's nothing wrong with that thinking. But this industry of VR and AR, it, it actually comes out of the, the video game industry, as you as you so well articulated, and the video game industry is extraordinarily creative. I mean, more creative than I ever real, realized. And the mistake that I made was I, I, I really did not embrace that level of creativity. Um, and, and as a result of that, we started building experiences that were, were they were horrible. They were boring. <laughs> they, were, they were putting clinicians in, in, in environments that they spent all day every day in already. Yet we had an opportunity to do something very creative and different and, 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 and really move in a very different direction. And that was a mistake, a more recent mistake um, or failure of mine um, that we have since um, really changed. And I'll talk a little bit about that later, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll say with that second learning that you shared there, Dove, um, my mind like jumped into like ready player one mode. So <laughs> whatever that would look like for healthcare. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. You know, but, um, you know, I, I appreciate both of those stories, honestly, and I'm I'm personally so born and raised in the South. Uh, you know, my family's from Alabama and South Georgia. Um, so, you know, there's there's history there. So I understand how a lot of those perceptions exist, but I'm glad you had the chance to explore it. Um, you know, over in North Carolina, you have the Research Triangle Park, which is one of the largest in the world, I believe. Um, you mentioned mm -hmm. Nashville. It's it's healthcare haven for the U.S. with all the, the mega companies right there that are literally changing the industry every day, every year. Um, you know, here in Georgia, we have the Crescent, which is one of the, the largest tech areas in the countries as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, to your point, just being open to learning the environment. Um, and then to your second point about, yeah, exploring more creativity. I, I think those are mega takeaways. Um, and I hope those go far with our audience. So I love both of those, man. The uh, next question I have for you, just move you down and, and let me let me do a time check. Um, do I need to stop right at 12 for you or do you have a few minutes to go over or uh, I'll manage my questions? I've got, yeah, I've got some time to go over. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I took too long right at You're the fine. there. So um, I appreciate that, Dove. Um, next question I have for you. So I, I love if you could give our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building intimate teams with the project teams that you lead, um, share with us what it is and how do you apply? Yeah, so this is one that I, um, um, I actually have some, some, some internal conflict with just 
as as I've reflected on what's worked for me and 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 how that needs to change, you know, one of the things I've always loved is um, there's this this quote from Bruce Lee. Um, you know, he, he says you have to be like water, right? So so so, and that means many different things, um, right? Water is um, it flows, right? So so it but it also adapts, right? Like if you, if you get in the way or change the direction of that water, that water is going to find a path for itself. Be like water. So what does that mean? That means that as a, and I think this is more, more true today than ever before, as, as a leader, leader in any capacity, you have to demonstrate agility. Um, and so you have to demonstrate that, that, that ability to change. And I'll talk a little bit about this, this um, needle that I'm threading. There's also on the other side of that, this need to be completely obsessive. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're focused on something, uh, you have to really um, narrow in that focus. And there's this idea that you need to overmanage the things that you are, that you love, okay, in business and in work, the things that are most important to you, overmanage those. So I, 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 I think about this in terms of two different ways, and I think about it as where you are in the evolution of, of, a, of a team, of a project, of a business, of an organization, et cetera, you're going to have to adapt from one area to the other. Early days, I think it's about you need to overmanage the things that are most important to you, the, the aspects of the business that are most important to you. You have to stay unbelievably close to those things, um, learning all the while, but, but doing your best to recognize that you can't you can't hyper control something forever in order for you to ultimately move from that, that iteration of your team, of your project, of your, of your business, et cetera, you're going to have to move into and adapt to a very different capability. And that tool or tip is, is essentially to let go, to make sure that you're building your team in such a way and your, your product, your solution, et cetera, where it can exist it can very clearly exist without you ever having to be involved with it. And, and that is really important um, and, and has really stuck with me. And that is those early days are really formidable. But the goal is not to be indispensable to something. The, the goal is to actually, as a leader, is to be able to walk away and know that that, that thing, that, that entity, that organism can not only um, survive, but it can thrive then into something else without your participation and active involvement and over management. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I know just from my own, you know, path that I'm on right now, I think when I first started my business, it was definitely with the, I have to do everything mindset. And now I'm like, no, I need mm -hmm. this thing to work without me mindset. <laughs> exactly. But, but even exactly. for our folks doing the day-to-day -day leadership, I mean, it's the same thing. You, you can't be, you know, at your facility, at your hospital, your clinic, or anything else 24-7. So you have to build your teams appropriately. That's that's my takeaway of what you're sharing as well. Yeah. And I think that there's a fear that um, you know, if I if 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 I am not involved or whoever it may be is involved, that it's it's gonna go wrong or it's gonna break or a mistake will be made. And I think that goes back to my other point, and that is that um, again, depending on, on, on what's on the line for that mistake, right? We don't want to lose life. We don't want to inflict harm on people. But mistakes need to happen. Bad things need to happen um, in order for us as, as people, as individuals, to learn. 
And so I've always found that um, we need to be able to let go and, and encourage, not encourage failure, but encourage people to step into those roles completely and embrace the fact that they are not going to be perfect. And the, the opportunities for learning are going to be greatest where and when mistakes occur. Right, wonderful. Oh, I love those takeaways. Um, let me move you into the next one. And kind of the flip on this is, um, I, I love if you can share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But again, share with us that background and if you were to turn it into a personal or a professional success. That's a little bit yet to be determined. Well, well, I'm sure there are a few. What I would say is um, right now, I'll, I'll talk about what's really on my mind right now these days. And, um, you know, we are we're getting ready to launch a, a completely new venture um, that's really focused on a whole side of healthcare that, you know, up until recently, I think was very much either dormant or, or dead, quite frankly. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke a little bit about this a few moments ago, and that is this idea of embracing creativity. Um, as I shared historically, I, I, I really never, I never, I had not appreciated that aspect and the opportunity for creativity and the creative class and, and, and creative professionals in the healthcare sector. Healthcare has, to its advantage, always been an industry that does a really good job of chewing up shiny objects, so to speak, and spitting them out, right? Um, it, it does a good job of clearing through the clutter and clearing through the bullshit, so to speak, and saying, okay, you have a nice fancy gizmo um, over there, but at the end of the day, it's actually going to harm our ability to deliver care, not improve it. And I admire that about the industry. I think on the other side of that coin, um, it also has failed to understand the importance of creativity, of entertainment value of things um, in terms of being able to more effectively deliver impact. Um, one of the things that, that I've reflected on a lot in relation to the pandemic is when, when, people, um, when people were faced with real challenges, uh, you know, a lot of people found a lot of comfort in, in entertainment-related activities. And uh, healthcare is, 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 for many, healthcare is seen as boring. Right? It's, 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 it's seen as a very dry environment, right? Um, it's not necessarily seen as one that leverages, effectively leverages entertainment in order to deliver impact. I think there are outliers out there, and I think that there are naturally creative, beautiful, energetic people who bring that to their work day in, day out as much as they can. And I think that they are able to deliver messages and deliver impact in ways that other people can't. Going back to, you know, so, so what I learned over the past few years is, is really how we can more effectively embrace that um, and that, that aha moment and working in the video game industry now, um, what, what we can quite frankly accomplish is just so much greater than I ever realized by leaning on lessons we can learn from, from organizations like, like Disney. Okay. How can we learn from what Disney has done? How can we learn from what Epic Games has done? Um, these, these, these highly successful gaming industry um, titles, games, etc. cetera. We, we have a lot of work to do and a lot of opportunity. Um, and that's what I'm most excited about now. Uh, I'm excited to hear that. Um, so one of the, 
one of the aha moments that I've had that closely aligns with yours, Dove, is that I do a lot of lean Six Sigma coaching and project management coaching for healthcare professionals. And the term that I learned, it's called edutainment. So mm-hmm. finding the right balance between things being entertaining and educating. And so I've slowly, you know, pulled that into the, the programs that I run through my business. But um, to your, you know, to your point with healthcare being the, the conservative industry that it can be, um, you know, we're still people and we still want to be entertained and engaged and, and, you know, really able to touch and see what we're learning and doing. So I love your aha moment and, and I can relate to it for sure. And for, you know, for definitely for our audience members who are out there promoting a lot of education, because that's what we do as healthcare leaders um, and, and quality process improvement professionals, um, just consider those same ahas with the work that you're doing. Um, but definitely look up more information about, you know, Dove and the, the work that they're doing through their business and seeing if you can apply any of that to the work you're doing as well. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, let me let me jump you into this next one. Then we're going to get into our rapid fire kind of Q and A session uh, with you, Dove. But um, would just want to explore this, given your amazing background and so many of the stories you shared so far. Uh, what are some of the changes going on in healthcare right now that you're personally excited about? And then what role do you see uh, quality professionals, just healthcare leaders, big picture, um, playing to promote or support this longevity? Yeah, so I think um, we really stand um, at a crossroads right now, uh, and um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this idea of transformation because obviously it's both overused but also still unbelievably relevant. Um, I, I think I think we often talk about transformation as though it's something that we that we do. We transform, and 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 I, I I've come to actually believe that's not true. I think that that we don't transform. If if we're lucky and and we work hard, we adapt. But the transformation is is more something that happens to something, and I think that that's quite frankly what's happening to the healthcare industry. And and I think it's easy to see that when you see the rate of change, which is is it's quite frankly too slow to keep up with the level of transformation imposed on healthcare institutions. Okay. And so um, I think that I think that we are or we are going to see a completely new role for large health systems over time. I don't know what that time period is, but I think it's moving faster than it ever has before. And I think as a result of that, I think um, you know these, these large health systems, these centers where where there's been an expectation that if if you need care, you have to go to them. Um, obviously, that is I think being flipped on its head and simply saying care delivery simply needs to be more affordable and more convenient, more just obviously more effective. And, and because we've historically relied on, on if you build it, they will come, right? These centers, these locations within um, our cities and our communities where you have high concentrations of people who may, um, may need some level of care coming there and creating that concentration because it's going to be increasingly distributed um, quality professionals, I think, are going to need to adapt. And I think there's a lot, lot of opportunity out there for, for thinking about how do, we, how do we evaluate quality and change the way we think about quality care, not necessarily on a, on a one-to-many basis, but in, in some ways on a one-to-one basis, right? This idea that populations, populations come to centers of care delivery 
it's not really how it's going to work anymore, right? Populations are going to move in all different types of patterns and ways, and those concentrations are going to be less common in my mind. And so I think, I think quality professionals, people who are focused on what is the definition of quality and how we measure it, need to start thinking about um, how do we apply quality measures to things like retail and consumer health? Um, because I, I have not yet seen those things occur. Um, and I think that that's a fear a little bit of, of things like retail healthcare and, and consumer healthcare is how are we going to make sure that it's the right care at the right time um, and, and delivering um, quality outcomes as, as they're measured. And I think uh, simply put quality individuals need to toss their hat in the ring and start getting involved in those types of organizations um, and start building new companies and, be, and being the entrepreneurs they can be to define what does quality look like in a geographically distributed healthcare system that we've never seen before. Yeah, I, I love the future vision that you're casting there. I'm gonna go ahead and, and cap it off with, this is official now, Ready Player One for Healthcare. So for all my audience, <laughs> go check that out. <laughs> but no, I mean, that, that's, that's the cool part, I think, you know, again, with your viewpoint of the industry, uh, Dove, um, you're seeing, I think, the, the possibility of so many things out there. Um, I had a chance to attend a session that was being led by a physician who is a futurist as well. And so many of the references that he made were connected with pop culture items, you know, movies and books and so forth. But he also capped them off that they were they were, um, you know, future ideas that are currently either in development or almost, you know, essentially on the market. So so, you know, we're not too far off. So I, I love, again, kind of the vision you're casting and, you know, for our audience, definitely take heed. I mean, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, the industry is going to look different. And, and that's the goal of this podcast is hopefully to start giving everybody a heads up that they can start navigating their career paths or their interests, their passions appropriately today instead of 15 years from now. Um, Dove, uh, you're doing a fantastic job, man. I, again, I'm, I'm so appreciative. I know we're pushing time. So I want to jump us into this two-minute drill and run through these questions with you really quickly. Um, are you ready to rock and roll? You feeling good so far? I'm ready. Yeah, I, I, I'm. well, we'll find out. But I think I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Now, you got this, man. I'm not even worried. So, um, Dove, the, the first question, it's something of a two-parter where I first love you to tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best and then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Yeah, I think our current role, um, something about my current role, my current role, and, and, and you touched on this a little bit, um, it's really important that, that I not get ahead of myself. And what I mean by that is as an entrepreneur, many entrepreneurs are, are we're, we're living 10 years in the future right? Um, and so it's really important that we recognize that, that while we may be, you know, our, our minds may be 10 years in the future, reality exists today. And in order for us to, we have to bring everyone along. So we have to communicate that vision and repetitively communicate that vision as, as to where we're headed, um, where we believe we're headed. Um, and, um, and I think, I think that's really important. Um, my current role in others um, in terms of inspiring others within my organization, and, and this is really something born, born very heavily, quite frankly, out of the past two years of the pandemic, um, it's really to have fun. Um, it, it's not even just to have fun at work. I think have fun at work, yes, 
but I think just have fun, find moments and opportunities in your life to laugh, to, to, to be ridiculous, um, to be silly, um, to, to, to just have fun, do things that bring you joy, quite frankly, and do more and more and more of those. Um, it's been unbelievably difficult um, for people uh, and far more difficult for many others than for myself, quite frankly. Um, but at least for me, you know, I found, I found a lot of inspiration in my family, my children, uh, in terms of what matters in this world and what doesn't, quite frankly. And, um, and I, I, I just, I think that at least for, for our organization, our team, that was something we spent a lot of time speaking about and recognizing, um, you know, as a startup, you work, you work exceptionally hard. Everyone does. Um, and we, we made conscious decisions as, like uh, many other organizations did to recognize we need, we need to take time away from work. We need to block time away from work, not just as individuals, but actually as a team um, for the first time in the past, you know, gosh, I don't even know how many years um, we took a summer break. All of us, every member of our team, um, we all took off at the same time, um, with, and we were all prohibited from, from email, from, from anything, whether it be internal or external. And, and for someone who runs a business, that's something I've, I've been very bad at and that these types of activities are really important. So I encourage people to simply have fun and recognize the value of fun in your lives. Right. And I'll have to let you know, I am truly jealous. Uh, my wife and I were just talking last night about some potential holiday plans. And I literally said, I don't get holidays. Um, you know, to your point, like taking time off, I, I'm, my mind is not there yet. So um, kudos to you. I, I'm slowly trying to figure out that balance myself, but um, good job. It's on tough. So next question I have for you, um, yeah. what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, accept help. accept help um and and don't be afraid to ask for help um there is there is i don't even know where it comes from this idea that if we demonstrate that we need help it's some form of weakness um uh that was something and 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 that goes against quite frankly my nature you know i i tend to to just i don't know where this came from for me is you know, not recognize easily where and when I need help, but um, it's something I've had to work at um, really, really hard. And I've, I've learned and, and, and certainly mistakes have been made as a result of that. But, but you have to, you ha- everyone needs help. Um, I often say, you know, having, having worn the hat of CEO, of, of board chairman, people who tend to think, oh, you're in charge, you're the boss. Um, as much as everyone needs a boss, because everyone has a boss, quite frankly, um, even even if you're self-employed, you still have people you're responsible to. Um, it, everyone needs to seek out help and and accept it. Uh, and uh, no one can do everything alone, especially when you're trying to deliver impact at scale. All right, I was going to say, Dove, uh, you are just seriously talking to me right now. So uh, just know that I'm taking like literally taking that to heart. Um, that message there. Um, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be, and why? Oh, wow. Um, probably our um, uh, head of technical art. So, um, you know, again, something I've always, I've always, that's always played a role in my life, but depending on where I was in my career, you know, it was either collecting dust. It was more often than not collecting dust, unfortunately. And that was the ability to be creative. 
um, and, and for me, it's music. Um, and, and, and that's the, the, the art medium that, that, that most resonates with me. But we have a head of uh, technical art. Um, his name is Ernie. He's just an incredible, per just a person, just incredible person, an unbelievably kind um, person um, and brilliant, quite frankly. I mean, I, and I mean brilliant. I mean, talk about someone who is as gifted and skilled in the arts as, as, he, as is in a mathematics, for instance. Um, I just, not just his, his, how gifted this person is, but quite frankly, how this person lives their life, I, I very much admire. And the level of quality that they bring to their work day in, day out. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, I hope, <laughs> here's what I'll say. I hope Ernie is as fulfilled and having as much fun in the work that he does both personally and professionally as he appears to be. Um, so if, if I could trade, maybe not for longer than a day or a week, <laughs> because I don't, I would not be able to live up to his standards, but um, that's who it would be. Uh, I, Truly, I love that shout out. So shout outs to Ernie on that. But um, again, just, you know, for the work that you are doing uh, for all of our listeners, I mean, we're not, again, talking about just your traditional healthcare skills, but your art director, uh, your graphic designers, I mean, the, the stuff that's coming with the future of healthcare, um, it's going to require a lot of different skill sets. So, um, so I, I love that shout out. But, you know, the call out is that it's, it's going to be a different a different industry in the next few years too, with the different skills that are needed. So, um, so really appreciate that one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Dove, could you share with us a personal habit that contributes to your success with the many different initiatives that you're out there leading? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I guess what I would say is, and this may sound, you know, um, a little bit more on the dry side, but for me, it isn't. Um, it's take care of your health. Um, so, so that can mean many different things for me. It's physical activity. Um, I, I have, you know, like most of us, right. We, we've all, we've all gone through cycles where we're more physically active or, you know, than not. Um, and, and I'm no exception to that, but there were even years where I just, I just did not put in the time and what I've, I've learned is you're going to pay the price for that, um, not just in terms of your, your health, um, but, but quite frankly, your, your emotional and mental well-being, quite frankly. And, and, and that, that's very much for me. So if, if I am not able to get in some level of physical exercise um, every day, then, then I notice it. I notice it in the quality of the work that I put in. I notice it in the quality of my relationships. Um, and so for me, that, that has become a personal habit is, um, really, uh, make that time. All right. Wonderful. Um, could you share with us a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you lead? Oh boy. Um, I cannot, but what I can share is I, I, I am a sucker for, for pencil and paper. <laughs> There's the AR VR guy, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's 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 no joke. Um, but I again, like it, 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 I think that might be that might be. Um, you know, I, I try to be that that old dog learning new tricks, but nothing. I've tried. I've I've tried every project management tool. I've tried everything you can imagine. Um, nothing to this day. Nothing beats pencil and paper. No, that, that is hilarious. Um, you know, when all else fails, <laughs> uh, 
Um, let me move. I almost got, I, I got off track, you know, laughing at your statement there. So um, I, I'd love if you could please share with us a, a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add. Oh boy. Um, um, game develop. I mean, for, for us right now, it's all about the game developers conference, GDC. Um, so I think the association of game development um, has, has really played an important role for, certainly for myself and for, for, for what we do as, a, as an organization. It's one, obviously, I did not anticipate in my career, right? So what was, what has historical, historically been, um, you know, our go-to and my go-to has been hymns, right? Um, and, or Chime. Um, these, are, these are health IT organizations um, that I've spent a lot of time um, both within those organizations and, and, and also attending their conferences. Um, and I think that they offer a tremendous amount of value. What's coming to my mind is, is going to be uh, Game Developers Conference. All right, perfect. And uh, could you recommend one book to our quality people? And if so, what would it be and why? Oh, boy. Um, God, there's so many. Um, this is this is tough. Um, this is tough. <laughs> there's so many. And I'm, I'm, as we speak right now, I am looking at uh, my bookshelf. And books that I often reference, right? Things that I, I'll pull out and I'll, I'll, I'll share with people. Um, but I'll, I'll just share a few titles that I have on my shelf. And I, I don't think this is going to come as any, any surprise to anybody. Um, one is The Challenger Sale. Now, this is um, written by uh, a, a friend of mine, um, uh, Matt Dixon, um, that really, really reframed how we think about sales and, and, and adding value to organizations in the sales process and how we we really need to um, we really need to think about sales very differently than we have historically. Really think about it as um, a value delivery mechanism. Even if you don't close the sale, you really need to think about how you're going to deliver value to people in the process. Um, but there, it goes a lot more deeper. But it also breaks out different archetypes and different personas of different types of salespeople. It's really effective. Um, there's another one by Adrian Gostick, um, "The Best Team Wins." Um, uh, Lean Startup, of course, Eric Reese. Good to great, Jim Collins. I, I I know I'm totally not answering your question the way you asked, but but I'm I'm giving you uh, giving you what I love. Um, another one will be uh, Moonwalking with Einstein, um, which has to do with how 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 to become better at remembering things. Um, the Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. So anyhow, sorry, <laughs> this is like this is like uh, an advertisement for the Entrepreneur's Bookshelf, but. But these are some of the books that, um, that quite frankly, resonate with me. No, uh, funny enough, Dove, I'm, I'm literally over here, like taking notes, scribbling it down. And then I just remember, like, I'm recording this. So I could just rewind this. Back. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, I, I, if you could see my bookshelf, man, I, I'm an avid reader. So I, I do love that question because I'm like the first one to like, oh, I don't like moonwalking with Einstein. I never heard of that. I will be checking it out. So. Um, that is a fun one. That's a really fun read. All right. Perfect. Uh, I love that. Um, though we are right there at the very last question, but um, give me the heads up now. This is a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past, why you look forward to your future. So uh, let's say you're able to send yourself one text message 10 years in the past and then one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Oh, boy. Um... I mean, I mean, it's probably going to be some variation of the same message for both the past and the future. I've, I've actually been reflecting on this um, 
uh, I have a, a nephew um, who's in high school, and um, he reminds me a lot of myself when I was his age. Just unbelievably happy person. Um, he, his name is Noah, and he um, he works unbelievably hard. He also um, he takes he takes things very seriously. This is somebody who is going to go very very far in life, no matter what they choose to do, um, what he chooses to do. Um, but the one thing that I, I love most about him is um, he just knows how to have fun. Like he just knows how to be silly in everything he does. He's just a happy-go-lucky person. And I remember myself very much that way when I was his age. As life happens to people, right, you, you get older and you go through, I think, I think at least for me, as I got older, I went through increasing amounts of difficulty. Um, you know, I, I, everyone has their stories. For me, I, I lost my uh, younger brother. I lost my, my father. And these were formidable moments in my life that really shaped me and really just they, they created, I think, a darkness to some degree. And I forgot how to have fun for a very long period of time. And I think, you know, reflecting on the difficulties that we've been going through as a society over the past few years and, and what the dialogue that has come to the surface of those things, right? Things that people have been struggling with for many, 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 many years, but we really are, 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 are having more dialogue about. Um, it just reminded me, you know, it reminded me who I am at my core and to embrace those things and to have fun. And I think much the same moving 10 years into the future. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of difficult things up ahead of us. It, for me, um, the single biggest issue I think about is climate change um, and, and how that's shaping us as people and, 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 and a society. And so 10 years from now, I think, um, I, I, if I think about it just at this very moment, it makes me a little bit sad or maybe very sad. Um, but that sadness um, is not quite frankly, at least for me, it's not going to, it's not going to, to result in what I can do today to be a better person for myself, for my family, for my community. So I need to focus that on um, again, leveraging what I believe is going to be effective to help people move forward in their lives and live the best lives that they lead. And, and right now the single, the three-letter word, F, the F word, I'll say, in my life that matters most is is have fun. Don't forget to have fun. All right, fantastic. No, I I admire both of those. Um, really, again, connect with your story. Uh, you know, we all got our trials and tribulations, but staying focused on your core, staying focused on creating fun in the work you're doing, the passion, um, that's how I interpret a lot of that. Um Man, Dove, I, I am just, again, blown away by this interview. Uh, it was a long time in the making, but very, very much <laughs> well worth it. Um, I, I really appreciate Good. all of this time with you today. Um, before I let you go, I'd love if you could just share uh, uh, that parting piece of advice that you may have for our audience. Um, share um, the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media. And please feel free to plug your team, a website, or whatever they can do to learn more. And then we'll officially sign off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the easiest way to get to, to get in contact with me um, is, uh, is, is on LinkedIn. Um, just uh, uh, you can look me up, Dove, D-O-V as in Victor. Uh, last name is Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H, excuse me. Um, you can also uh, find me uh, at uh, immersivehealthgroup.com. And, uh, and yeah, um, I think this is Jarvis. This has truly been a pleasure. It's really been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, meaningful conversation, 
and uh, hopefully I was able to, to add some value and, um, and, uh, and, and help your listeners in some way. Oh, well, I, I, again, I appreciate it. I know, you know, this should hopefully, my, my hope is that this really piques the interest of many of our listeners, just again, with all the different things going on in the healthcare industry. Um, and this, you know, what you all are leading, I think is going to be a huge and very, very interesting part of that over the coming, you know, again, a couple of years up to 10, 20 years out. I mean, there's going to be a huge transformation. Um, Dove, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you and your team right there at the head of that, you know, change and transformation that's coming. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward a few years from now to say, hey, that guy was on my podcast. So um, <laughs> that, that's my hope and my, my, you know, prayers for success for you and your team. So uh, just truly thank you again. Um, you thank know, you, Jarvis, really, for the work that you're doing. So this has been a lot of fun, but but really, I I I, I cannot thank you enough for for the the this this podcast has has really meant a lot to me as well. So thank you for for inviting me and uh, allowing me to to share my story. Tremendous, no, I appreciate that. Um, to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for for listening and hanging out with us today. Um, this is Jarvis and Dove, and we're officially signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.